Hello and welcome to the Good Growth Podcast. You might remember in season two, we spoke to Lord Victor Adebowale about bridging health inequalities in society. Well, today we focus on the role society and community has in healthcare to a global issue on a local scale. With Good Growth based in Exeter, this is particularly close to our heart and we want to celebrate what the NHS has done in both treating COVID patients and in rolling out the vaccination programme. We're specifically focusing on the Royal Devon and Exeter Hospital as one of the big innovators of a digital operating platform. We'll get into that a bit later. But first, let me welcome our guest, the Chief Executive of the RDE NHS Foundation Trust, Suzanne Tracy. Suzanne, warm welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm fantastic. It's, uh, it's Monday, the sun's shining. And uh, yeah, at the start of a new week, I always feel really optimistic. So I'm feeling really good. There, yeah, there's something about the spring sunshine, Monday morning. Nice sense of optimism, I think, about the week, I hope. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Suzanne, you've been working um, in the NHS for close to 30 years now. Can you give us a bit of background as to how you've started out in the NHS and, and how you've seen it just transform, I suppose, during that time? It's it's really scary when you say it's nearly 30 years because <laughs> it's, it's flown by. It really has. I've enjoyed it so much. Um, but I joined um, the NHS back in 93, Um at the point at which NHS trusts were being um, sort of conceived and and, and, uh, coming into being. Um, I trained as an accountant, actually, with one of the big uh, four firms and and had sort of just qualified uh, in public sector and accountancy, which was fairly unusual in uh, in Pricewaterhouse at the time. Um, But a number of my clients were NHS or sort of working with NHS and local government clients. But it just seemed like a really exciting time. And I thought if I'll I'll, I'll sort of go for a couple of years, get some breadth of experience and then come back into the firm. That was my original intent. Um, But like you say, that's nearly 30 years ago. And um, every year has been different and every year has been uh, really exciting with great opportunities, loads of challenges as well. But um, yeah, there's been quite a lot of change, uh, as you can imagine, over that period. Like I say, when I started, um, it was around the time when NHS trusts were being formed, um, and that gave a, you know a lot of focus on individual organisations um, and what they could do uh, within their own uh, arrangements. And then we created foundation trusts um, in the sort of early 2000s, and now we're coming back full circle, and the whole focus is on system and how organisations work together. So I think if you stay long enough anywhere, you sort of see that full cycle, don't you, go round. And uh, yeah, it's been really interesting, really interesting. Uh, yeah, I can imagine there's, there's never a dull day uh, in the NHS, but... <laughs> there really isn't. You, you mentioned the Foundation Trust there. You're, you're Chief Exec of the Royal Devon and Exeter NHS Foundation Trust. Can you just, for those who might not be so familiar, just explain a bit about what a Foundation Trust actually is? I can, yeah. So... Um, they, they essentially are not-for-profit public benefit corporations. I mean, that's the best way to describe them. And they were conceived as a way of trying to um, shift the sort of centralised and um, national um, decision-making right down to local level. And so foundation trusts were formed uh, with quite a lot of freedoms, um, certainly back in the day, quite a lot of freedoms, um, both financially and from a decision-making point of view, uh, and in terms of, uh, you know, having almost control over their, their own destiny with less um, sort of input, and still having to follow clearly what uh, national direction is and the national standards. But actually the way that you do that um, was, was really defined by foundations to trust themselves. And that gave us lots of freedoms. And the Royal Devon and Exeter was one of the first trusts first 10 trusts in the country to become a foundation trust. And I guess at that point, um, 
it was very much uh, really thinking about, so, okay, so what does this mean and, and what can we do? But I think, you know, we've been able to really secure some significant investments um, because trusts were free to, to borrow. They didn't have to just have capital from uh, through, through the sort of, uh, through, through the central government um, route. And so you really have the opportunity to think about what's important, what do we need to do? And then to, as long as your business case is passed muster, then, you know, to sort of secure that capital and, and move forward rather than having to, you know, uh, be part of an overall uh, prioritisation system. So it's much more nimble. Um, uh, yeah, really, really um, being able to focus on what was important for local people as opposed to necessarily what, you know, people centrally, uh, you know, albeit in London, thought was right for the Southwest and right, right for Devon. We were able to, to really connect with, with local people and a really important part, and I think we'll probably come on, I'm sure, and talk a bit more about it, is uh, the role of the governor in a, in a foundation trust. So governors were created to, in fact, hold the local trust accountable. So accountable for delivering on the strategy and um, objectives that are set um, for, you know, by each trust. And so our governors sort of hold us to account for doing that. And that's a really important link for us and um, back with our local community um, and really making sense of, uh, of, of what makes sense to, to local people. Yeah. So really that governor role is, I guess, projecting the voice of the local, uh, of the community, of that, of the, of that, adding that locality to the, to the National Health Service. That's exactly it. I mean, you know, look, you know, uh, the NHS is, the, the principles of the NHS remain constant wherever you are. So, you know, free appointed delivery common standards, um, uh, common requirements for us to, to meet under regulation, but actually the sort of the nuance of, of what's particularly important for our own area. And of course, in Devon, and we, we sort of serve the larger catchment area of a sort of east, uh, Exeter East and Mid-Devon, um, that larger catchment area, you know, sort of encompasses urban, rural, coastal so, you know, not, it's not going to be the same, um, uh, given those very different geographies in terms of what's important to people. So for some people, you know, out in the rural areas, then actually access to services and, and transport are, are really important factors for them. Um, but it could be something completely different um, if, if you live in, in and around Exeter. So we're really able through our governors and through that local um, accountability to really take into uh, into account what's important uh, in those very different circumstances, and I think I think that's really important. Yeah, that is uh, is an important point you touch on there because it isn't just the ex you know the core extra area that you've got mid like say mid Devon East Devon really rural areas in places, um, and so the needs of people in those areas are much different to those living say in Central Exeter. So having that governor role, I can see how that helps you quite a lot. <laughs> uh, no, it really it really does. Yeah. So, generally, what are, what what you, you've mentioned? I think uh, that sort of projecting the voice, I suppose, that that locality. What what are the benefits do you think there are to this this type of uh, or to a foundation trust in this sense? Um, I think you know it's 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 also a bit about um, attitude. I, I, I know that might sound a bit strange, but. What I've found is, and I've sort of worked across um, both, in, in actual fact, over the last couple of years, I've also become um, Chief Executive of Northern Devon Healthcare Trust, which is based up in Barnstable. And that's still an NHS trust as opposed to a foundation trust. And I think the difference is um, the, the sort of regulatory regime that, that certainly came in place um, when foundation trusts were formed 
the onus was on the board of directors to ensure that whatever was happening, um, that they were within their sort of working to the terms of their license. So that responsibility, if you like, and that um, uh, accountability was really strong, you know, uh, clearly with the local organisation. Mm. And so I think for me, there was more about the autonomy, um, really uh, ability to drive innovation. And that's not saying that, you know, NHS didn't do some of that stuff, but we were just working in a different set of conditions and environments. Uh, and that led to different behaviours. So, um, yeah, it's it's been interesting working across the two organisations and just uh, really noting some of the difference. But fundamentally, we still, you know, both organisations are still focused on the same things about, you know, quality of the services we deliver, the safety of them, you know, how, how we can get the best use of our resources um, in, in terms of, you know, efficiency. So all of those things are really still important, irrespective of what type of organisation you are. I think it just comes back to the rules and regulations of how you can operate that uh, that feel different. So what is it like for you, really, leading such an important part of the health service? You've got a lot of different factors going to play. We've touched a lot of things that are, are important. There's, there's a lot of things important to a lot of people. What What is it like for you uh, having all of that and, sort of, I guess, for you to be able to distill that down into into what you need to do for action, I suppose? Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, if I stop and think about it, sometimes it's really scary. <laughs> um, from, from the point from the point of view that you know these are large and complex organisations. You know, I was sort of recruiting um, to a key leadership um, role a couple of weeks back, and you know, sort of talking through with candidates and talking about what we were trying to achieve um, over the over the next couple of years. And it's a massive agenda, as you as you can imagine. Uh, you know, these organisations, I think, you know, between the two trusts, it's sort of, you know, uh, three quarters of a billion pounds worth of turnover, 13,000 staff, you know, numerous locations right across the county. And so the complexity of what, what we're trying to do, I think if you stop and if you stop and really, really think about it, you know, that's where that's where it's scary. Mm. But I think fundamentally, this is just a huge privilege. I mean, being a chief exec or being a, a, a senior leader in, in these organisations it's just a massive privilege because you 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 get to sort of you you know when you get out of bed in the morning that whatever you do during the course of that day in some respects in one way or another is just going to have a fundamental effect in terms of you know somebody's somebody's life and 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 that that's really never been more obvious than over the past 12 months during the covid period and you know when you sort of receive letters and and, and all sorts of things actually that people have sent in, uh, local people have sent in, just to just to explain, you know, how important the work we do is, and um, how much they've uh, benefited personally, or, or you know, have uh, in, in some cases, you know, had, had had an impact in terms of saving their life. I mean, you know, where else do you get an opportunity to have that much of a direct and positive impact? Um, it's it's it really is. Uh, it, it really is. <laughs> it's the best job in the world. Look, I can tell you that it's the best job in the world. It's made me go very grey, as you can see, but, um, it, but it is the best job in the world. I, I can imagine that's an incredible feeling. But, uh, and like you say, if you stop to think about that too, it, it's quite daunting and overwhelming, but hugely uh, rewarding at the same time. You, you mentioned COVID there. I mean, like all health services um, around the world, Royal Devonex has been no exception to obviously having to respond to COVID. Um, what what were some of the uh, innovations that you adopted during COVID? 
um, and are there any there that you, you'd actually take forward into a post-COVID healthcare? Yeah, so it, it, it's, it's been, you know, it's been the most challenging and in some respects the most challenging, well, a period of, of the NHS full stop and certainly of my career. Um, but then in others, it's been, you know, it's given us massive opportunities. And, and I think, you know, every year as an organisation, you sort of, as, as a health organisation, you're required to sort of look at your pandemic plan and what you were going to do which you do, but you never think that's ever going to happen, do you? Mm. Why, why would you think that was going to ever sort of really, really happen? Um, and then all of a sudden it does. And uh, you look at the plan and of course it gives you a good start, but you know, you can never truly um, take into account, um, you know, what you need to do to respond until, until it happens. And, uh, and of course, you know, we were really sort of having to uh, step back, think about what was important and, and respond in the, in the here and, you know, almost in the here and now. Um, and, that's, and that's been great because what's, what, what we've seen as a result is things that might have taken forever to achieve in, in normal times have, have happened overnight. So, you know, some of the reconfiguration in the hospital, for example, um, that, you know, we, we might have wanted to move departments from one area to another literally happened within the space of weeks when when I think in normal times when you're just trying to run the business as usual and that, that some of those things are really difficult to do so uh, we saw some really significant shifts in terms of just how we run services and not only in terms of how the the sort of hospital um, environment themselves looked but you know um, really sort of taking up the opportunities for, for digital and the, and the use of technology and um, so the amount of um, our services now that can be accessed virtually is fantastic and again you know talking about that sort of rural environment um, across Devon um, and for people traveling you know vast distances to maybe come for a, an outpatient appointment or whatever a lot of it now can be done online and you know wherever we don't have to physically see somebody um, then, uh, you know, vir virtual appointments, I think, have been really important. And the feedback from our patients and, and local public is that they love that opportunity. You know, they don't have to travel a long way, find a car parking space, find their way around a, a really busy hospital. They've been able to sort of do, uh, do something, you know, really quickly and, and, and really immediately. Yeah. Um, we've, uh, I was last week visiting um, on the North Devon site, and we've actually got a drive-through facility and um, again, it's to, to, for people who, you know, uh, were most uh, vulnerable, uh, didn't need to come into the main hospital site. They could literally roll up, um, have the test that they needed, cardiorespiratory test, um, and drive off again. And it was all done uh, through their car window. Wow. And again, you know, you just think we wouldn't have, <laughs> literally wouldn't have thought of some of those things. So there's been fantastic. And, you know, speaking to... Uh, and visiting uh, with with our staff, the, the level of innovation and um, just the you know re people have really thought about what's important to to patients and and really shifted their services accordingly. So I think you know uh, there's lots of stuff that I think we'll take forward and we wouldn't want to lose from the from the pre-COVID uh, way of working. I mean even just some of the flexibility of how people work and you know sort of reducing the congestion on our roads because people aren't having to all get to, you know, head into the hospital and whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest thing is that, you know, when you work in large and complex organisations, invariably people can feel that the bureaucracy of those organisations sort of it stops them uh, making mm -hmm. some of the, or stops the innovation or stops the change. And, and whether that bureaucracy is real or perceived, you know, it's, it's a, it can be a constraint. Um, and I think what people have found really 
um, of, uh, empowering about the last 12 months is that there hasn't been, for obvious reasons, we've had to respond really quickly and be much more nimble. Um, people have really sort of felt empowered and I really want to continue to engender that, that sort of environment going forward so that all of our clinical teams and, and indeed our, our sort of um, corporate areas, if they see something that's going to be the right thing to do, that they're well able to sort of move that on and not feel that they've got to ask permission and um, and, and get approval. Um, so I think for me, that's one of the biggest takes of the last 12 months is how do you continue to you know create that sort of that, that type of environment? Yeah, I think. Uh, it's it's a theme we've actually noticed across a lot of the podcasts um it, yeah. pre, it, particularly during the last 12 months or so is that decision making is sped up because you have that pressure now to, in order that i mean there's always pressure but this is a you know sort of uh, an increased pressure to make these decisions and not just in healthcare but we, we've even touched on like the sort of fashion and, and, and industries like that there's there's different pressures for different um different people but they're all confined around that um that aspect of time i suppose where you know decisions need to be made now and so that efficiency um and like you say that empowerment i think of uh, of staff to, to be able to go and make that step is is actually quite refreshing to see um, it is it, it really is and you know it's it's giving people a sort of um a real motivation you know different motivation more um enthusiasm i mean people are you know, people are tired of course they are it's been a tough 12 months but I, what I sense is a real feeling of optimism and, you know, ability to, to really sort of um, embrace change and, and move things forward. And that, you know, there's a real buzz about the place. It's, yeah. it's brilliant. You know, it, it, it is really good because um, I think, you know, we, it, it meant that we had to sort of step off the hamster wheel, if you like, of, of just doing things in the same way um, as, as we've always done and really sort of stop and think, OK, what's important here? How do we achieve it? And then, and then move it on really quickly. Um, yeah. And yeah, I don't, I don't want to lose that because it's been great. I just want to quickly touch on um, the Nightingale hospitals, actually, because um, you're, you're one of the few trusts to, to utilise the Nightingale uh, Hospital in Exeter. Um, and I think you've recently bought the facility. So it, by having that now, what does that add to the trust and, and, and community going forward? Well, look, you know, the, the Nightingale brand was a, was a sort of national initiative to create extra and bedded capacity um, in recognition of, of just how many patients potentially could need to be in a hospital setting. And, um, and the decision, you know, the deci- it was a national decision um, to, to sort of create a nightingale in our local patch. Um, but given the geography of it, we did take responsibility for hosting the facility, even though it was, it was available to all organisations or um, patients in, in Devon. And in actual fact, um, right across the southwest, because we ended up... Um, uh, because the figures were lower in, in Devon, uh, we ended up sort of taking people from, from right across um, uh, the southwest, the southeast, and up, and up to Birmingham. Um, and it was a fantastic facility. So, you know, we took a, a sort of uh, a retail unit and over the space of 13 to 14 weeks turned it into what is actually a really impressive healthcare facility. Um, and what we didn't want to do was to lose that um, when, you know, when the need for, for, for sort of COVID occupation came to an end. Um, so we have, uh, we've been fortunate enough to, to be able to, to, to purchase the facility, as you say. And what we've got to think about now is, of course, whilst we have the response to COVID, how do we actually um, recover um, from the backlog that, uh, that invariably exists because we've not been able to carry on treating and patients in the same way 
And so we're really, at the moment, we've quickly, as we, as we didn't need it for COVID, we've quickly um, reverted to using the facility for diagnostic testing. Um, sort of well-placed for that, um, easy access from uh, the motorway or the A30. And, you know, and we can sort of um, just confine. And, and because we've had restrictions on how many people can go through the main site because of infection control um, arrangements, then we've been able to have this other site that we can use for diagnostic purposes. But we're really doing a bit of a, an option appraisal at the moment to say, OK, but what do we really need into the future? And whether it becomes continues to be diagnostics or whether it helps us with our elective um, service recovery, then um, it will have, a, I think, a role for um, certainly for, for a long time to come in terms of giving us just extra facilities. Because, of course, whilst, you know, COVID has reduced in terms of prevalence, the, the amount of people we have in the hospital with the control that the infection control um, implications for us is still is still huge mm. um, and so for for many of our services they're not able to see physically see as many people as they've previously been able to pre-covid because you know they've got to allow for social distancing you know all of the infection control arrangements that we take in between every patient that comes in and out I mean it's just really sort of impacting on uh, on the amount of patients that uh, we can see at any one point, so having that flexibility is uh, is really brilliant. But it's great; for, it's, it's it's a really great um, setup. And what was achieved over such a short space of time is is just phenomenal. It really is. Yeah, incredible. Again, going back to that decision making and that <laughs> that need to do things quickly is uh, it's, it is impressive as to what you can achieve. Well, my uh, my estates department hate it because I say to them, you know when we're, we're just rebuilding um, our, e, our emergency department. And, you know, my phrase now is, well, we could do that. We could do the Nightingale in 30 weeks. <laughs> why, why would it take him two years to do either? You know? Exactly. And they're, and they're like, oh, no. <laughs> so, uh, so set the bar <laughs> now. Set, set the bar. And, um, yeah, we're sort of trying to hold them to, hold them to account for that one. But, uh, yeah, it, it, we, we were very lucky. We had lots of help. I mean, we had military uh, personnel deployed to us. I mean, it was it was a phenomenal effort actually, right across um, a number of sectors, just to to make that happen. It was it was really great to see. Uh, final sort of area I want to cover, and just I guess bring it into the digital world a little bit. Um, you've introduced a digital operating platform called Epic, mm-hmm. um, and that uh, I believe is there to to sort of help transform how your clinical care and your patient experience is delivered. Um, can you just give us a bit more about what Epic is and how that helps you improve the quality of your care to patients? So I think, um, I, I guess that, you know, because all other areas of our life is, is sort of so technically or digitally enabled now, we sort of expect that the NHS is in the same boat. And um, I don't think we we have been, you know, we've, we're sort of quite outdated in some of the, um, in some of the systems that we're using and um, Epic has been, it is an integrated electronic patient record, and it essentially brings together all aspects of patient care into, into one place and under one sort of system. So uh, we introduced it um, in, we went live in October last year. So, you know, not necessarily something you'd plan for um, going live in the middle of a pandemic response. Um, but, you know, we'd had several years of, of, of work preparation work up until that point and um, we didn't want to miss the opportunity um, but but what what that does is it actually brings and if you if you think about um, a hospital and we've already said they're sort of large and complex places it brings all aspects of a patient's care 
into it, it connects it together so previously we had lots of disparate individual systems you know if we had a, a blood system and an x-ray system and a you know and an outpatient system but none of them would sort of talk to one another because they were all came from different um different companies and different places but this now is all integrated so um, for a staff point of view, if they're looking after a patient, everybody can see the same information at the same time. Um, so whether you're in the community part of our organisation or in the main hospital acute side of things, you can see what's happening um, for an individual patient. And of course, that means that um, when we're planning the discharge of a patient, our community team can see exactly what the acute, um, the acute team can see. And, and that's really helping in terms of how we organise ourselves and how we um, arrange our services accordingly. Um, but for patients, I mean, again, a, a huge, a huge difference. So, you know, a lot of our services were paper based. Um, and so every time you came to hospital, you'd be giving your details to numerous times to different people. Every time you saw them, you give your details once and um, and everybody can see an update you have access to key elements of your, your medical records as a, as a patient using our patient portal. Um, you can book your own appointments. Um, and, and actually, it just gives you the ability to take much more control over your sort of health, healthcare and annual well-being, which, uh, you know, is something that I think the NHS is, is, is really trying to achieve, which is to sort of move less from a, you know, um, we're the caregivers to, you know, the responsibility and the ownership is with, um, with, with citizens as individuals and we become sort of partners in that, in, in that individual's healthcare or supporters of rather, rather than caregivers, mm -hmm. you know, it sort of changes the dynamic, I think. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's, that's what society wants today. They, they want to be able to, people want to be able to, to have much more direct control. People are much more, um, you know, better informed with the internet and, and all the rest of it. And so the patient portal, my chart, which is which was what we've got through Epic, um, allows people to do that much more. Um, so it's really, it's really, it's had a massive impact um, already in terms of just the capability. Sounds, um, it's, it's really exciting. It's really, yeah. really exciting. It sounds massively important to helping staff deliver better care because they've got obviously better visibility of that patient, but also making the patient experience a lot more just simplified a bit more you know obviously coming to hospital for any patient is somewhat of an ordeal it's not no one wants to do it by choice so having that making that experience a lot more just pleasant and understanding sounds like it, it benefits both the nhs and the patient yeah no absolutely so i'm, I'm really hoping that you know we've we've the implementation itself hugely complicated and you know and, and really resource intensive and you know as I say we we went live during a period of um you know of of, of not of a huge challenge for us so um we're now in the stage where we're sort of you know stabilizing the position optimizing it and really thinking about what this enables us to do and I think this this is the biggest step change, certainly in for the for the Royal Devon and Exeter for uh, in its history. That's how I've described it, because the the possibility or the art of what's possible as a result um, of digitally enabling the, uh, the, the the trust is phenomenal. You know, and and what's brilliant is just you know listening to our clinical team saying, oh, we think we could do this now as a result, mm. or we could do that, and I think it will. I think it will fundamentally change 
um, you know, healthcare in, in the way that we know it. You know, I don't think people will, I don't think in the future we'll be sticking to, you know, the, 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 the tradition of visiting your GP, having a referral on to the hospital, having an outpatient attendance, you know, maybe a, an inpatient, et cetera. I think, it, I think it will really start to change over, over the coming years and um, that digital um, capability will be uh, a huge enabler in terms of, in terms of doing that. And, and that for me is really exciting. Yeah, hugely exciting times uh, by the sounds of it. And also what I'm taking away from this as well is that the, whilst obviously the pandemic has been an extremely tough time for a lot of people and, um, and for the NHS as well and its staff, that off the back of it, there are some uh, positives coming from it in terms of just the empowerment, the ability to make decisions quickly um, and deliver better care going forward. So um, through all the tough times, there's certainly some some light to come from it as well. I, I think you're absolutely right, Dan. It's, you know, it's, it's I think uh, when you get any significant change, uh, whether it's planned for or not, <laughs> um, in the case of the pandemic, it sort of, it does give you the opportunity to stop, think, do things differently. And uh, yeah, that's been really good. And I think also for us in health, um, it's been fantastic to just know how much people appreciate um, the work that, that our team has, has been doing throughout and I think that's been, um, you know, that's been very humbling and 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 very motivating at the same time. So um, I think, you know, it's really sort of given given our team, given given our staff a sort of real um, boost in terms of uh, in terms of the job. And actually, we're seeing uh, an increase of people who want to now come and work in the NHS, uh, which is brilliant. And as I said, I think uh, a little while ago. It's the best job in the world, so why wouldn't you want to come and uh, and, and and be part of it? Absolutely, uh, Suzanne. Great fun talking to you, and huge pleasure as well. Thank you for coming on. Uh, appreciate it very much. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Nice to see you. Thank Take you. care. Bye now. Thank you for listening, and remember, you can go back and listen to any of our other podcasts on Spotify, Apple, and the Good Growth website, goodgrowth.co.uk.